I'm often puzzled when extremely capable leaders in the advisory board space decline my invitation to be on the podcast. My guest today did so when I initially reached out to him on LinkedIn, so I pressed him a little bit. What confused me is he is a podcaster, so it's not like a podcast will scare him. Leads a large branding agency, so man, branding is all about putting yourself out in the world and has significant advisory experience in a lot of companies. His answer was humbly, he was not an advisory board expert, which I went, wow, that's great. And so I was happy to tell him this show is not about experts. It's about us all being learners, you, me, anybody who's a guest on this show. What I know about them for sure is they're all learners. They're all people who are trying to figure out things all coming with a huge range of experience, capabilities, knowledge, insights, and uh, uncertainties and things that they're trying to figure out in the world. And so today you get to meet Scott Oxford. Scott is the founding partner and head of strategy and creative at the creative agency New Word Order, uh, which is based in Brisbane, Australia. He's the host of the Brand Jam podcast. He's a certified chair with the Advisory Board Center. He's quite brilliant, actually, and he has a ton to offer in our conversation. So you get to meet him now. Here we go. Scott Oxford, welcome to the Advisory Board Insider Podcast. I'm glad you're here. I am very glad to be here too, Tom. Thank you. Yeah. So what are your geographic coordinates? Where are you in the world? I'm in Brisbane, Australia, in Queensland. We'll be famous in 2032 for holding Olympic Games. We're famous in our own minds for lots of things. Beautiful city, beautiful climate, beautiful part of Australia, probably our, our favorite. And I'm born and bred here. Okay. So I always start this show, I don't know why I do this, but I always start this show with what's your morning drink of choice? I know you've just gotten, you know, you've just started your day. What do you generally start your day with? Yeah, it's the first priority probably after getting up is heading for the coffee machine. I've got a nice little Spanish espresso machine and um, make a uh, flat white. That's always the first. That's an Australian version of a white coffee, I guess, and always nice and strong double shot. It's kind of my morning routine is to do that allow myself to wake up a bit and then dive into the gym. And usually I'll make then a double long black to sip throughout the gym. So I'm deeply coffee oriented. Wow. And do you have a uh, particular bean of choice? Are you kind of a snob about that kind of thing? Or are you kind of relaxed about it all? Uh, look, I'm kind of relaxed. I We have some wonderful roasters in Brisbane and there's one in particular that is a bit of a favorite, but I actually like to mix it up too. So you, rather than the same bean all the time, I like to try different, different stuff. And because I drink both white and black coffee, it's always good to try different beans because some work better with others. But yeah, we have a pretty vibrant coffee culture in Australia and certainly in Brisbane. Yeah, we've got, you know, spoiled for choice in amazing options and the flavor profiles, it's a bit like wine, I reckon, you know, there's so many different flavors and, you know, at the other end of the day, I like exploring wine in the same way. Yeah, that's really cool. So uh, you told us a little bit about your wake up routine. So you actually start with coffee, then you go to the gym. Uh, do you actually go out to the gym or do you have a gym in your home? What's what's the morning routine look like? Yeah, well, I have three children who are all sort of growing up now, but I knew that I wanted to exercise pretty much every day and I didn't want to waste time in going to the gym. And I also do love my routine. So I love 
being able to do my program in exactly the order that I do it. So probably about seven years ago, I turned our media room into a weights room, much to the chagrin of some of the family and, and yeah, basically got a few hundred kilograms of free weights and a bunch of bars and, and things. And yeah, it's a bit more advanced than the uh, average, but it's still it's pretty fit for purpose and it just means I don't commute. So that's the way to go. I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. I do the same thing. I filled out my basement and made that the sort of headquarters of my fitness routine. All right, let's, let's dive into a little bit about all about Scott. So take me back to around 1990, maybe 1988. I don't know what year that would be, but I'm guessing pre pre university, pre college. What were you dreaming about for your life at that point? What was in the future? What was the big future that mm. Scott was, that age of Scott was starting to uh, imagine in his life? I think it's a really common term now, but I don't think we used it as much or not in this context, but it was really about storytelling. I wanted to make mm. films. I wanted to create theater. I wanted to make music. I'm a musician as well. So I just, I wanted to write songs. I wanted to just basically put, put stories out into the world. And I think ever since I was a kid, even in high school, I always sought out opportunities to, to tell stories and then discovered different media like film and, and audio and photography and those kind of things. So I was pretty much trying everything and that, that carried well past the eighties into, you know, into my twenties in, and it was just trying different, different things, you know, like really exploring it. And I, I think I was one of those people that was never going to study an accounting degree and become an accountant. You know, I was never going to discover my profession through a university degree. So I did do a degree, but it really was one of those degrees where you're kind of exploring different aspects of storytelling. And I was a little bit surprised how non-creative it was. It was very um, critical and very, I guess, mm. uh, you know, academic, but it, it, it wasn't particularly creative. So I kind of trudged my way through three years of, of uni and just decided it's probably going to be, you know, out in the real world where I'm, I'm going to do, do stuff and sort of discover my way. And I think that's my, my first job, all of my clients were uh, creatives. So I wasn't a creative, I wow. wasn't practicing as creative, but all my clients were. And what it meant that was that it was essentially a sales marketing job. And what it meant was that I got to immerse myself in all of these different creative firms. And it was funny over time, I found myself putting ideas into their pieces of work. We discussed projects that were on and then, and I start writing copy lines for them and I start, you know, I start having ideas that kind of input into it. And I then sort of realized that I kind of had this little side gig where I was actually sort of dipping into these creative teams and becoming mm. a part of, of what they did. And at the same time, I had a screenplay in my top drawer. That screenplay is still unfinished in my top drawer, but that's, that's the story of most creatives, but really, really it was, it was about this immersion. And, um, I'd always heard about this idea of on the job training. And I thought that was just for apprentices. It didn't occur to me that I could actually craft the career that I wanted by seeking out opportunities to work in different places and just insert myself into different kind of projects. And, and so that, that kind of really wet my appetite for working across a whole range of different, I, different people, different products, different brands, different situations, which you've got to be comfortable with when you run a creative agency, because it's the very opposite to working in-house where you're, right. you know, working just on one brand. So you're doing this immediately after college, that college that didn't seem to do what you wanted it to do, but you get involved in this other job, but you immediately start 
you know, sort of jumping into these different companies. So where, where did you go from there? What happened and what were some of the lessons that started to emerge for you from what you were experiencing? Because the storyteller who didn't, didn't really get it in college is now starting to get insights somewhere along the way. What are the things you're doing and learning in those early years coming out of uni? Yeah, well, I was yet to discover the term entrepreneurialism. And that typically is seen as this, you know, sort of starting businesses and taking risks. And about, I, I, I never identified as that, but at the same time, I just would see opportunities and I would ask the question and I would, I would seek out and see if I could add value. And, and I just surprised myself and it would never really bothered me if I couldn't, cause that's what you expect is like, what right, right. have I got to come into your right. project and do that? But the more I offered, the more I generated those discussions and it sort of happened really quite organically these opportunities grew and suddenly I realized that I was able to work in this space and that I had really quite flexible sort of abilities. Again, I, I attribute it to the fact that I was working with all of these different organizations. Right. I wasn't there to, I wasn't paid to do what I was doing. So there was right. a freedom in being able to explore and throw ideas yeah. in and, but I would throw in an idea and suddenly it would be the headline of this whole campaign. It's like, I never got paid for that. But I didn't mind. It's like, oh, you can, you can have that. But for me, it was like, I, I can do this. Mm. I can do this. I, I could actually do what you guys are doing. And I think eventually I realized I was probably going to need to polish up a few other skills. And so I, I sought out a production company to go and work with for a couple of years to really hone my skills as a producer. And I don't work as a producer, but the producer mindset, I think, is really key to mm. idea generation because that's almost the business side. It's about putting the right people together, creative producer particularly, putting the right people together and helping them all do their best, their best work. Mm. And so, but it's got a practicality of business and that's the really important thing. It's one thing for creatives to have great ideas, but if the budget right. doesn't work or the practicality doesn't work, then what's the point? Right, right. So somewhere along the way, you decide to move from being an employee to being an entrepreneur and mm -hmm. starting a business. And while I read about it a little bit, I'm interested in the origin story or the genesis of, of a decision to start a company called New Word Order. <laughs> and I've had to say that three times before yeah. we started, just took because it wants to say New World Order, but there's I think there's something interesting in the the naming convention. But yeah. before you get to why you called it that, tell me the origin story. How did you decide to get into the business and what was you know, what was the reason for that? And what did you see as an opportunity in the marketplace? Well, you know, every great or so-called great man has, can have a great woman behind them. And back in the early nineties, I uh, married my sweetheart and she was a journalist and a copywriter. And mm -hmm. throughout the time that I was doing my other job, she was working across advertising agencies and newsrooms and dipping in and out of being a journalist and a sub-editor and like, and she decided the time was right just before I joined to create a copywriting consultancy. And we had this wonderful designer who we worked with and we're brainstorming one day and the name new word order came up and it felt kind of a bit daring, a bit interesting. And, you know, yeah. we, we kind of always said, you know, from, from a copywriting perspective, copywriting is all about either new words or a new order of those words. So it was a, a play on that. And then of course you got yeah. the play on the new world order, which 
Right. You know, I always have to say to people, you know, we're, we're not a right-wing fundamentalist group. We're just a play on words, you know? So, (laughs) but, um, it's stuck, it's stuck. And so what, what happened was, is, is that I was then able to introduce her and between us, she's a long copywriter. I'm a short copywriter. We were then starting to work together. So for these different clients that I had, and she went full-time in the copyright consultancy. And then we kind of realized the time was right for me to move across. And my role was really to widen it into a full service creative agency, which is what we did. And over those first few years, and we together, I I do credit it with our unique sort of mix and, you know, we'll be married for 30 years next year. So we've run a business together for 20 years. It's pretty mad. It either works or it doesn't, you know? And so we really like each other. We're really happy, you know, like it's, that's not to say there's a whole other podcast and the challenges of running a business with your part, life partner and working together. But what I can say is that we just had these really amazing complementary skills. And that was really the key to me being able to do my bit and join. And, but we did it with a couple of babies basically and, and a mortgage, you know, like, and yeah. I still don't know. It would seem, I mean, that's what makes us entrepreneurs. I think is that we took right. that risk because looking back, I can't believe we were that risky, you know, you would never do that today. If you knew then what you know now, you would never do it, but no, but it was, it was meant to be. And very early on, we won a major campaign that we had no right to win against all the major agencies in town. It was, it was the quit smoking account for the state government. And it was a big campaign and we did it and we, we did it well. And it was independently tested to be really effective, not just in the short term, but in the longer term too. And that really put us on the map, I think, and really established that a big chunk of our work was going to be around empowering people, supporting people to make positive change. And this whole space of attitudinal behavior change, it just seemed like we, we had a knack for being able to understand how people think in order to mm. impact their, their attitudes, which then impacts their behaviors and bring some science into it, bring all that in. So yeah, it's a funny old journey and we still do a lot of work in that space today. Interesting. So I, I can't help myself. I've got to ask because my wife and I have been in business a long time together as well. And we actually have a kind of interesting little sub business called Married with Company. And it's really all about this when a married couple actually work together in a business, but lead and run a business together versus one being the leader and another just being yeah. an employee. And when I say just being an employee, I don't mean that like they're not doing but different, a value, yeah. but, but it's, but I'm talking partnerships, people who are married and run a company together. So I'm, I'm intrigued. What, what would you say are one or two of the things that have been really beneficial to the two of you in, in working together for so long as co-leaders of a company? Benefits are absolutely around and a deep knowledge and understanding of the other person, you know, it's more than just someone having skin in the game. It's, it's that mm. our whole family livelihood comes from this business. The, yeah. the buck absolutely stops with the two of us. And when one of us is doing well, it gives the other permission to have a little bit of downtime and space or vice mm. versa. You know, we don't both have to be on. We're rarely both having a great day at the same time. So it's really nice. But I think it's, I think, you know, you would know in a circle of friends, you don't have many people who get what your life is like when you do this. No. And so I think running a business alone would be incredibly lonely. I've not seen in the 
decades I've been doing this, I've not seen many partnerships like this of non-partners work. Most of those have been great businesses that have either ended in disagreement and end of relationship usually. Whereas for us, we're just, we're sort of right in it. We're supporting one another where we can be completely honest, completely open. We get, we can speak for one another in so many ways, you know, like we almost don't guys have to be in those key decision-making meetings and we can sub in for each other. You know, Suzanne had got really sort of sick the other day and we had to do some, she had some focus groups with some elderly people. You can't put a sick person into that space. I was able to just sub in. I had a ball. I love, I love older people and we had the best time. And it's just that ability to have each other's back and to really yeah. jump in for each other. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, thank you. That was a diversion, but it was a helpful one for me. So tell me a little bit about New World Order now. How big are you? Like how much activity are you doing? And then I'll, I'll ask you a couple more questions about it because I think they're relevant to our conversation. But tell me about where you are now. You've been at this yeah. almost 20 years, you said, or 20 years. Yeah, it's um, probably a bit over that now. We you kind of lose track after that long. Yeah. But yeah. Once but, you hit uh, 20, everything is just a blur. Yeah, it is. And and the early days feel like about eight years ago and they're like 17 years ago and yep. it's, it's mad. But so yeah, we're, we're a, a small independent full service creative agency. And essentially that means we work across every, every aspect of, of marketing, comms, production, design, brand. Our real specialties are brand. We have a very honed brand methodology that, that is a real passion space of mine and brand actually being much more than just logos and, and the like brand right. being very much that sort of deeper story, internal brand, external brand, the kind of stuff that can be really powerful and critical to internal and external success for businesses. And then there's that other side, which is behavior change. But at the same time, when you take on a client, you do all manner of projects. So we do a lot of campaign work, a lot of different publications, web, digital, you name it. So pretty much everything that has its challenges as well. But um, we have a a team of around, it shifts and changes around 15, 16 of us, but we, we've always worked very collaboratively. That campaign I mentioned, we won early on. We did that with no staff of our own. We basically mm-hmm. collaborated with a whole range of other businesses that we had relationship with and essentially formed a consortium and delivered it that way and very successfully as well. So we've always had that mentality of rather than having one team and that's who you get, whether or not they're graded or not, we are able to pull in specialists in different fields and, you know, bring them into the space and, and we already have established those relationships. So we have a really good working process. And, and that just means where we can do things that we've never done before. And in that classic entrepreneurial way, sometimes we've taken on projects and it's like, how are we going to do that? Mm, I'll find someone. And, you know, it's not fudging it. It's actually just about, it's like that great producing, which is like, who do we need for this? And you find someone and they're like, they're perfect. And you pull them in. And so, yeah, we do a very wide range of projects. Yeah, there's this this great model, a guy named Dan Sullivan, who runs an organization called Strategic Coach. He has this concept called who, not how, who, not mm-hmm. how. So a lot of times we kind of get in that situation and we're stuck and we go, oh, what do we do? And a lot of times we go, how are we going to do that? And what you just said, which is his concept, which is who should we find who knows how to do the the yeah. what and the how? And it's a really important distinction that I find as you, as you're doing stuff in the world and you don't know what to do, it's a, it's a great mechanism. And I know it's been really helpful to me. So 
obviously this podcast is about advisory boards. Mm -hmm. And let, let me start with through your agency experience, now that you've been at it a long time, can you give me a sense of your experiences along the way, your perspectives on advisory boards, advice, the actual function of advice, how you've seen it either with other companies, your own company, what's been your experience of advisory boards through this lengthy process you've had with your company? Yeah, well, predominantly the role I've played and the, the position, you know, uh, we've always worked to mix strategy and creative together. The traditional yep. model in agencies is to, is to keep them very separate. And that's really sort of worked for us. And for me, I'm one of those creatures that, that really, you know, mixes the two together when I work. And what that means is that, that advice is very much around coming up with ideas, but it's also about always having woven through that a very strong strategic backbone. If you haven't got a compelling reason to do something, you don't do it just because it's kind of cool. And so what that's meant when I look at the work that I've done is that we, if I had to divide our clients into two camps, there are the marketing specialists. So mm -hmm. chief marketing officers, marketing managers, professional marketers of any kind that we deal with. And on the other side, you're dealing with either a subject matter expert or a leader, owner, CEO. And on yeah. that side, there's a, there's a strong educational aspect and there's, there's a, a lesser understanding of brand marketing, the power of them and the importance of them yeah. to business success. And what I've found a lot is that brand and marketing are seen as very sort of soft and fluffy and nice to have. What I know and what I've seen is that they can be deeply powerful, incisive and make huge differences to internally and to externally for, for companies and businesses. So what that's meant for me is that my work, rather than just delivering on a project, our work becomes much more advisory. And it, and it really has been about recognizing that our, say a brand project, we're wanting to align brand strategy with business strategy, but mm. the research that we do uncovers such rich nuggets that they've never known before that it that research influences business strategy. Yeah. So, right. so, so what we're finding is it's not just a, if, if our job was just to get someone to come to the door and knock and that was it, everything can fall over at the door if you don't answer it, if you answer it poorly. And so what we discovered is that you actually need to work to make that a very consistent experience and you need to absolutely invest beyond the door. And you need to be, and, and what that means is, is a deep level of advice that sometimes means operational changes, sometimes means re rethinking things that were already put to bed. And that, that can be quite challenging, but it also requires rigor and it requires evidence. And so within that space, rather than us just being the ideas people who do creative things and make things look pretty and shiny, we're actually very much about being able to advise into the success of a project, not just the piece that we're working on. And for me, that's really been the, I guess, informal way. And so I've found my way informally into brains trusts, into informal advisory boards, even without that mm. name, where I would find myself regularly with um, two or three other quite different people to me, but all of my kind of stage and caliber giving advice in return for lunch being bought for us, you know, or, or doing the glass of wine thing where it's throwing around some ideas and, you know, a bit of a whiteboard session, that kind of thing. And so 
it was when we reached a point where we did some business strategy work with an external provider who took us through the board prep program, what that, you know, I actually experienced the advisory board IP and structure from the position of being an actual customer. So yeah, so that was so, my... So you went through a process of creating for yourself an advisory board. Yeah. Well, we went through the process of actually exploring the appropriateness and the viability of it. And that's the beauty okay. of that of that program, which funnily enough, I can now deliver for other people, <laughs> is that it, it helps you understand where you are and what your priorities are, whether an advisory board or what form of advisory board is right. And there is a spectrum of those advisory boards, yeah. you know, from the very, very formal right back to that kind of advisory board of one, not even called that. So for us, we ran the process and we established that a full-blown advisory board wasn't what our business needed at that time. What we needed was a brain's trust of a couple of people who would, you know, who we knew who would take the time. Yep. And those people to this day are still intrinsic to our business. And, you know, I've got one in particular, we do the same for each other. We, we actually, we get together once every three weeks at lunchtime, we just drink Bloody Mary's. There's a story behind that. Which, which is a great, a great way to have an advisory board structure for you. Totally. It's really good. And whoever needs advice buys the drinks on that day. But yeah, there's, I, I think what I'd have to say too, is that for me, what I've found, especially in the last five years is that I found more and more clients were CEOs or C-suite level who were often men who were where I was four or five years ago in my journey of health, mm. well-being, balance, even just to getting their businesses. They had these vibrant, strong, powerful, growing businesses, but they were working a hundred hours. They were 20 kilos overweight. They weren't seeing their kids. They weren't doing all this stuff. And I know this is moving into a bit more into coaching, but you can see that I just kind of, what I've found is my work is, is about going beyond just the professional advice. And that's what I love about advisory boards. They're really about getting around the people within the business, the leaders or the members of the business who are on the advisory board, which is usually a, a CEO or an owner and another senior leader, and just really nurturing them as yeah. leaders and as owners and as, as, as practitioners in what they do and, and giving them holistic support. And that's, for me, that's what I love uh, about it and look forward to in, in the future of advisory boards is that really deeply personal side, because you would have heard the stories that so many times advisory boards find, particularly when you have business owners who say a partnership where they're not a couple, or even if they are and their marriage isn't in great position, it becomes messy and it becomes personal and it becomes, you have to be able to negotiate that space. And I feel like everything I've done has kind of prepped me for that, that ability to advise on a very business level, but also be deeply sensitive to that. And having walked my own mental health journey, having walked my own health and fitness journey, being in my early fifties, being in the best shape I've ever been in my whole life. And I talk to these guys in their late forties and they're wheezing and overweight and unhealthy and imbalanced. And I'm like, dude, I would just love to, I, I, I can help you. I can help yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So part of, part of you've, we, we've kind of assumed something in the conversation, which maybe our listeners aren't completely a, a, aware of or aligned with, which is 
you came in contact with the advisory board center, which is actually headquartered in Australia, and you went through a process with them, which is something that companies can go through. But what's intriguing to me is in our conversation is what were the elements of that process that you engaged initially that particularly sparked your attention that that kind of grabbed you and went, mm, that's really powerful. Or the, the way they look at that is particularly helpful in terms of how you looked at your business and maybe how you looked at the companies you were informally advising as a contractor to them in the brand space. Yeah, I first and foremost, I feel like the whole framework takes my business as seriously as I do and recognizes that we're very, very human and it allows for the both of those. So those, those two factors mean there's a great deal of care. And if, if I, having done the, um, certified chair program, what I have taken from that is a whole level of rigor, which is founded in care to up the ante on my own advisory that I'm just doing through, through my day-to-day, through my business. And so for me, it was that when we ran through the, that initial program, it was probably asking questions and revealing insights that, um, we hadn't ever had before. And Mm. so that program was run with, by a certified chair who was not in that role. He was in the role of, of a business consultant to us at the time. We didn't formally engage with advisory board center at that stage, but I saw their IP on it, copyright. And I remember taking note of that and it was, it was, it was going to be a couple of years later, probably where I'd been watching people I really respected on LinkedIn who had done their chair program, who were taking positions on advisory boards. And I was like, I could get onto this one day. And they actually reach out to me. I think they, they have a process of not just referrals. I don't think I was referred in, but I think I was identified, I guess, as right. somebody who, who may be a candidate. And then I just targeted, targeted. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it was, it was one of those lovely processes where yep. they have a, everything's just so beautifully crafted in what they do. And yep. they, they took me through a process of helping me identify whether this was really something right for me. But it was also to qualify as well. So, and it was at the end of that, it wasn't like a test, but it was really a case of establishing on both sides that this was something right to do. And I, I, I really loved that. I learned a lot in that process. I learned about what I wanted and helped me define what I wanted to do in the advisory space moving forward. And so, yeah, I signed up for the certified chair program and that was a two day program delivered. I did it in person and as opposed to the, um, you know, in a, in a Australian company directors course, which is the governance right. board side, right. that is a five day heavy duty, blow yeah. your mind, just about leave you bleeding on the pavement kind of thing. <laughs> this was two days right. of deeply invigorating, just brilliant IP that clearly is backed up by this beautiful, everything you need is fingertips. And to me, that was just like having built and run a small business when nothing is at your fingertips ever. It was just so nice to go, wow, my, I totally have my back. So that was sort yeah. of that transition, I guess, into this place where we find ourselves now. Yeah. So you mentioned it, but I'd like to clarify it with you, which is what did you see as the outcome? Because the advisory board center, for those who may not know, 
who may be listening has a, not only do they have, you know, an IP process of really world leadership that I've learned, I've experienced in terms of how to, how to think about advisory boards, how to think about different types of advisory boards, how to bring rigor to them, how to bring a systematic way to think about them, how to set up yourself for one. And you and I both have the designation of certified chair within that structure. But my, my question for you is what, by taking that course and by deciding to become a certified chair, what in your mind did you have as kind of the outcome for yourself that was independent of your role and function as, you know, the co-founder of a branding, marketing, digital the strategy agency that you have, but separate from that. Did you have some kind of goal for that? Did you have some kind of ambition around uh, actually getting certified? Yeah. And look, it, it's a multi-pronged goal. Yep. I, I love my work day to day when I'm not the servant in a master servant relationship. I love my work when I walk into a room and I am there to add value. And yep. I love sitting with a couple of very high caliber leaders, people I admire, and they look to me for my expertise. Right. And that's not an ego thing. That's just a inflow kind of thing. I love that moment when you can really, you can be the only person in that space who's able to do that thing. And so for me, the idea of joining advisory boards as an addition on top of my daily work and being able to work in those different spaces in a different capacity, but just in that space which of course is focused on solving problems and bringing a totally fresh perspective. And I love the idea that that was going to be outside of a different professional engagement. You know, like it was a yeah. fit for purpose, focused kind of space. The idea of, of chairing, um, again, was very much to add rigor to any work I do as an advisor on a board, but also I'm just one of those people that loves to come in and assemble great people. So. From that perspective, the idea of, of chairing and assisting a company and putting together an advisory board, that's, you know, where I can bring that independence of thinking and bring that freshness. And it, it just, it just, that stuff makes me happy. That's the kind of yeah. the stuff. So that's, that definitely, I would definitely love to move into a space of, of being on advisory boards. But we also sort of see in our professional practice that there is a real opportunity to leverage this very high level that Suzanne, my partner has, that I have. Uh, we have a former CMO on our team as well, who has in incredible experience and the like, and potentially even to create an NWO advisory, you know, new order advisory, mm -hmm. almost to really create a kind of space there. And what I love about the advisory board center is not that this is an ad for them, but what I love about them is that they're very encouraging to us to, you know, really help us make that work and craft that and support us in building in building that out. And I, I do know that if I every day in my work eventually I got to just give solve problems and give ideas and give the benefit of that to people who just want to hear what I have to say, wouldn't that be a sweet way to work every day? Yeah. Delightful. Delightful. So when I first asked you to be on the show, you had an interesting response. You said, no, not interested. I'm not an expert. And I found that an interesting response. But when we kind of dug into the conversation, my response to you was, neither am I. I'm, I'm not an expert at this either. I think I went through the program a little bit before you. And in going through the program, I discovered something really kind of cool about it. But 
frankly, despite being an advisor to a lot of people, not unlike yourself, I have a different role that I play. I'm an executive coach and work in that. I, I took the advisory, the certified chair program from the advisory board center as a way because I started to see what I felt like was an opportunity in the market. And the opportunity I saw was that companies who had advisory boards somehow had a different level or they played on a slightly different level than those who didn't. And I coached, you know, CEOs of companies who have advisory boards and those who don't. And I, I noticed this distinction and I went, hmm, what is that? What's going on there? Mm. And so I, I went through the process. I didn't know the advisory board center existed. I'd never seen the, you know, the IP anywhere. It's not as big in the U.S. as it is in your backyard. It's quite big in, I feel like, in Europe and Australasia and all mm. of those kind of places. There yeah. seems to be a much more vigorous approach to advisory boards in the U.S. are big. There's a lot of advisory boards, but they're kind of ad hoc. They're not yeah. as they're not as rigorous. They just kind of come and go. They might an advisory board might just be the seats, you know, the names on your website more than anything necessarily. They might be investors, whatever that package looks like. And so part of our original conversation was recognizing we're both neither of us are experts in this field. I call myself an insider just because I'm talking to people who are in the space. You say you're not an expert, but I was really interested because I think what we're both trying to do is we see the value of this. I think we've built our companies, we've done our work, and now we're trying to go, well, how, do, how do we access that next spot? And I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, what, what kind of direction, and this might be helpful to somebody else who's a new and newly into this space, what kind of moves do you feel like you're making to potentially get on or chair or lead or be a member of an advisory board now that you have this designation that is independent of your company and that's independent of a company-based advisory structure that you might build within New Word Order? Yeah. Well, what I loved is about doing the certified chair program with the different people sitting around the table and there were a lot of people who have had big corporate careers built businesses done all of these things and they're moving into a space of what's called a portfolio career not a new term yeah. but that as i mentioned earlier i love variety and diversity and so the idea of having a portfolio career where i'm able to work in those different spaces i've told you i I love the idea of coaching leaders. I love, you know, that's not been my practice and, you know, but, but I, I would like to think that, um, you know, as we grow uh, as an agency, we can, there are a few hats that I can put onto other people and maintain certainly always my backbone role and lead strategy and creatives for the agency. But I would love to, to sort of, I guess, move into those kind of different spaces. And so I would love to sit on a, a couple of quite diverse advisory boards. I'm probably most qualified to sit on boards for, you know, family owned companies, you know, or private companies so that I've never worked yeah. corporate, not really. Yeah. And so, but that said, I've advised into C-suites in corporate. So, you know, it's, it's going to really be case by case, but I don't have this set idea of. You know, I want to be on Gucci's advisory board or this or that. You know, Gucci really recently set up a youth advisory board, I think, and did right. something. Not that I'm a youth, but you know, like they there are there yeah. are these specific opportunities. But you know, I sat with a client the other day in Australia. It's been legislated that anyone working in aged care is going to need to have an advisory board, and so 
that's a huge opportunity in Australia. I have a few clients in working in that space of older people and, and it was just, I said, oh, I think I set up your advisory board yet. So, oh, no, no, we need to do that. And I said, I could, outside of New Order, I, I, I can actually help you with that. Like, you know, I, that's different to why I'm here. We're here to talk brand and marketing, but, right, right, right. you know, and, and so for me, that, that idea of being able to, uh, you know, sort of shift into that. So I, I see them working alongside. I, I, I don't think we see ourselves selling our business or, you know, or necessarily ever leaving it behind. You know, it's been a, it's been a baby we've created for a long time and it's also professional services. It's not easy to sell those kind of businesses, especially when your strengths are at the center of it. And, um, yeah. I think, you know, we, we started this business so that we would have choices and the ability to work in diverse spaces. And so for me, that idea of being on advisory boards is very much about that. I will say too, you know, I've got a fairly advanced pre-revenue, but nearly completed prototype business. That's sort of an innovation that's come out of our agency. That's quite different to anything else that we've done. So I'm one of these people that's going to probably, you know, I'll need an advisory board for that business. If it goes somewhere, you know, it's going to be that kind of, you know, and that's, what's lovely about this community. You know, I've, I've been, I mean, you've, you found me because I've been posting around advisory. I've had meetings with some amazing people in the last few weeks, people, high caliber, incredible people who just say, I just want to buy a coffee. Let's just catch up and have a coffee, which is the metaphorical equivalent of a podcast. And yeah. uh, it's just nobody hears the conversation, but, but yeah, yeah, we're forming this network and these are, I'm just meeting incredible people. And I think I would love to sit on an advisory board or chair one with a bunch of incredible, interesting minds who have the heart that we have, which is to add value and to not just, not an arrogant benefit them from my experience, but just to you know, knock things out and just be a part of that in a, in a different capacity while I still do what I do every day. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm intrigued because you're, you're a brand guru and I'll just, I'll admit that even though you might not be an advisory board expert, you are an expert on brand and brand development. And I, I think it's always an interesting exercise to do like a brand review on ourselves, not in terms of our business, but in this function of being an advisor. And I, I thought it'd be interesting to maybe, you know, dig in how you as a brand guru look at this challenge for yourself as a, as mm. somebody doing this, like as a, as an advisor, how are you creating for yourself a branding approach, which is again, in advisory board space, I don't think it has anything to do with logos and look and feel. It's all about what's the story you're telling in the world? What's the the messaging you're putting out there. So how do you think about branding yourself in this environment? How do you think about that concept as you're, as you're sort of adding this potential other part to a portfolio career? Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's demonstrating value and what value is to a potential client is comes not services. You know, it's one thing our service is to be an advisory board chair or to be but at the end of the day, nobody wants an advisory board for the sake of it. What, what we're seeking right. to do is, is for breakthrough and in our business, or we're seeking to revolutionize or innovate or do these kind of things. And I think, I think the best way I can show that value is to demonstrate expertise, leadership, and even a bit of 
safety and safety is in rigor. You know, I think that's the thing people mm. are afraid of when it comes to this is, am I going to have a couple of unicorn crackpots, you know, who are going to tell me to do this and push me this way and that way. And as, as right. a business owner, you have enough voices in your head. You don't need more voices in your head. What you need is someone to just turn a light on for you and make a spark happen. And so what I'm aiming to do is probably really demonstrate that I'm more than just a brand guy, you know, and, and yeah. really probably show that it is that more holistic way. And that's what I do with brand anyway in my work Right is, right. is actually showing people that brand isn't just about looking, putting a shiny new suit on. It's deeply about the substance. It's about, you know, if you want to follow that metaphor, it's about a professional development elocution. It's about growing the the full experience. And I think right. and I think brand is is about that, particularly as we learn that internal brand, which is much more than just culture or HR, internal brand is so critical to external brand being being sort of really full. So if I look at myself, I'm just trying to show, I'm trying to demonstrate an understanding and ability to approach that and build a promise that I may not turn up with the answer but I've got what I need in here to work with you and together we're going to come up with some magic. Yeah, that that's, that's powerful. So if I were to ask you what your superpower might be, cause you've, you've stated it, how you see it, but like, what's your superpower? If you're sitting with a CEO of a, let's say a private company, that, you know, might be doing 10 million in annualized turnover revenue and they, they bring an advisory board in and they're seeking outcomes. A lot of times your function in that advisory board is you have a specific purpose to be there. You have a specific expertise. So uh, I'm going to maybe dig in. What do, what do you see as potentially a superpower that you bring to the table? What's the, what's the distinct perspective, the way that you help them think that may be different than say a corporate finance guy or a, or a legal woman who sits on that same advisory board. What are you bringing to the table? that's uniquely you that nobody else has the, that has that vision that you seem to have. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting question. I, I think for me, when you bring in specialists in those fields, they're there largely to advocate for that specialty. Yep. My job has always been to be able to scan the many different points, the mm. practicalities through to the, the much more exciting and adventurous to be able to push a boundary while also never forgetting the, the parameters and then identifying the gaps and knowing when to pull in legal, that legal and when to pull in cybersecurity, you know, when mm. to do those kind of things. But I think it's that ability to just sort of see that whole bigger picture at a very top level, scan the full view and somehow pinpoint these things and be able to then out of that go, all right, we'll need this, we'll need that, we'll need that. And I can also read you and I know that you're the kind of leader that's going to need facts and figures, or you're the kind of leader who needs to feel this. And if you feel it, you know it. And I've worked with both. You know, some, some leaders go strongly on gut feeling, some rely purely on facts, some a combination of the two. I think we're all a combination yeah. of the two, but yeah. I think it's that it's, it's about reading and, and understanding. I, I don't get caught out very much by 
people surprising me with their personalities or, mm. or their, their deeper agendas. You've got to see beyond that. Just like when you look at the big picture, you've got to still see the detail in there. Otherwise you get caught out by something. So I don't know if that's a good explanation, but I feel like that's no, I think, I think it's work. fabulous. Yeah, no, I think it's fabulous. And I think part of the the ongoing process that that any of us are in who are trying to move into this kind of space. And the more I've talked to people, even people who have had historic, you know, they've sat on boards, they've sat in all these different situations. They're also trying to find their way to this, what their unique position is. How do they, how do they act when it's not governance versus when it's advisory and the distinctions that come in that environment. So no, I think it's fabulous. So do you have any, any final thoughts on advisory boards, advisory board function that we didn't cover that you feel like I maybe didn't ask you the right way on? I know you're also a podcaster. So sometimes there's things that you're going in your head. Why didn't he ask me this? And so I'm giving you the chance. So is there something we didn't, didn't discuss that I probably should have asked you? No, no. And I'm enjoying submitting to you as host. It's, it's lovely. We, we actually approach podcasts very similarly. Every, all the prep you did was exactly what I always did with my customers, you know, with my um, interviewees as well. But what I, what I probably, what I probably would say is that it's, you owe it to yourself to understand what an advisory board could do for you rather than just, I think when I first approached it, I mistook it for a governance board. And I think it's that yep. these are very, very different things. And uh, I have deep respect for governance boards, but it's not my space. I, I'm happy to leave that to, for all the risk and everything as associated with that. I know that this is kind of my sort of sweet spot. And, and I think... I think it's, it's really a case of take the time because I think, you know, it's a very lonely thing running a business and there are not many, certainly a great coach is an absolute godsend, you know, so, but this is a way, you know, of injecting some powerful thinking into a business that you may not be able to do, even if you hire and you may never be able to hire that level of expertise anyway. So that sort of taster into that kind of space. So I, I just think I would advise people, you know, who are looking, considering advisory boards, just dig into it, you know, dig into some of the stories of it because, you know, they are sort of profound and powerful outcomes that come from it. But yeah, no, I've, I really enjoyed this exploration and somehow you make it me comfortable talking about me. That's really weird. You've got me to talk about things that I don't normally talk about. So. Oh, that's delightful. Well, as we finish this conversation, I always like to throw some other questions at you, just Please. some fun, rapid fire ones, just just because mm-hmm. they help me to understand you more. So uh, let's start. And I think this may be sacrilegious to ask a brand person, but Apple or Windows? From what perspective? I think I could safely go Apple on any perspective. Yeah, I, I just I figured that that would be the case, but you know, it it doesn't hurt me to ask. I've invested so first... much money in. Sorry, I was right. just going to say I've invested so much money in Apple over the years building a creative agency, but I've yeah. also been grateful for their reliability. Anyway, what was the first question you asked Chat GPT the very first time you <laughs> you logged in? Oh, look, I think I went straight to something really really practical. I actually I have a startup concept that brings together psychology, predictive analytics, and an AI together. And I basically said to it, how could I use predictive analytics, psychology, and AI 
to solve this problem. And oh, so um, cool. And it was it was not bad. It was not bad. <laughs> right. That that's the interesting thing I found is when when you actually first start playing with it, you realize, hmm, this is this is really interesting, and it's fundamentally going to shape how how we think about the world going forward. So besides everything else you said earlier, you're a musician and a singer. So I'm always intrigued by what's the song that's on almost on repeat in your head that you sing in the shower or or in the most random places or when you're anxious. What's the song that is perpetually playing in your head right now? Because I realize it changes. But what's the thing your wife goes, would you quit singing that song? Yeah, well, it's been recorded by many, many people, but the version I hear in my head of Stardust is Nat King Cole. But I grew up listening to Willie Nelson sing that, and that was an album my parents played. And yeah, as someone who sort of loves that, I love singing jazz, but that's like a more loungy, kind of softer version. But I just think it's a beautiful song. But that's the one that's stuck in your head all the time. All the time. All the time. There's, yeah. Interesting. What's the book that has shaped you more than any other in terms of influence? What might that book be? Wow. going to be hard to explain why, but probably C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think. Interesting. It was an early read, but he's just such a beautiful, accessible user of language and metaphor and story and imagination. And I feel like that book in particular in that whole series is a beautiful capturing yes. of all of those things that as an adult, as well as as a child brings me warmth. Yeah, that's, that's great. What's your poison, hot yoga or cold plunges? Hot yoga. Absolutely. Love it very, very much. The cold plunge. I love cool water. I haven't done an ice bath yet, okay. but I used to do a lot of distance running and I would love, it gets very hot here in summer. So I go out, you know, it's sort of 40 degrees Celsius and you're kind of done 20K and you're very hot. Diving into a cold pool, that moment you dive into it, your whole body feels like it's regenerating cell, cellular by cell all over. I love that feeling. Hasn't transferred to the cold plunge yet. Love hot yoga. Would do it every second day if I could. Got it. You seem to have a bazillion things, ideas floating. You've got great ideas. You're, you're exploring different paths. You really have this portfolio career. But Outside of that, what are you irrationally passionate about? If I followed you into your whole week, is there another thing that's not work-ish that you're irrationally passionate about? Beyond exercise, I probably love cars, but I, I, I don't have a crazy collection of cars or anything like that. I can't afford it, but I do love cars. I'm a bit of a crazy cat man as well. Oh. I've, got a, I've got a ginger kitten fast asleep. Over there, he's my new sort of passion, a little guy called George. But yeah, those things feel you. really mundane. Surely there's going to be something more exciting than No, um, no. Than sometimes that. there's not. It's just that sometimes there's this little thing like you're, you're a knife collector or, I mean, people uh, have a, a really interesting things. When you dig deep enough, there's this whole layer of really interesting mm. things that people are, you know, deeply into. Like, for instance, I'm crazy interested in studio equipment. I don't know why. Yeah. And, you know, this is a little studio I built off my office in a house, a custom house we built. I built this little studio and I love microphones and I, I have way too many microphones for one requirement, but All right. I, I've I don't thought know of why. it. Then. I just lo- I've okay. thought of it then. Polaroid SX70 cameras. The SX70 really? okay. was a, 
it was, uh, it's, it sits sort of long and flat and it actually flips out. They came out yes. in the sixties and seventies. Yes. It yeah. uses Polaroid film that the kind where it has a plastic coating over it. So you can move pigment around underneath it. And I, I worked with an artist once who did this and used a metal, a wooden sort of stylus to move the pigment around. I've never done that, but there's just something really glorious about the steel and leather design of it and the fact that it flips open. And I've bought way too many of those on eBay. There you go. I've stopped now. Beautiful. We found it. We found the irrational passion. Thank you. Delightful. The your studio equipment one, the too many microphones thing. That's what gave it away for me. So there you go. Oh, I, and I don't understand it. I don't understand why I need, you know, I need a Rode <laughs> microphone and I need, and I've got this, you know, this microphone up here so that it's not in my face. I didn't like the, but I got all yeah. those microphones. I got every single one of them and, and strange, but I wouldn't get rid of them. Like those things. No. I will hold on to those suckers. I love them. Well, Scott, this has been delightful. Um, yeah, I, I know that you said you weren't an expert, but my gosh, you had a lot to offer anyone who's listening today. I think your perspective, your insight, the way you look at the world, the way you look at things is really profound. And I think from the perspective of an advisory board thing and being what I consider an insider, even though there's no way in hell I am, I think you've got a lot to offer even in the advisory board space as a chair and, and a, as sitting on somebody's board or just advising people because I think your insights on the world are pretty cool. So uh, thank you for being a part of this with me. Thank you for sharing your gift with the rest of us and the really cool things you're doing in the world. It's been a pleasure. Oh, same for me, Tom. Thanks so much.